out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. My name is David Vignola, your humble host. This week, we're going to talk about nine things or my top nine things that'll help make your home recordings sound better. And some of these things are a little bit more uncommon. There'll be some things that you've probably heard before, and I'm sure there'll be some things that you haven't heard before. So here's nine things to help your home recordings sound better, sound more professional. That's what we're going to do today. Make sure you like, subscribe, and share uh, this podcast with others. It really does help me out. I really do appreciate it. And stick around to the end of the podcast episode because I'm going to give you guys a couple of free gifts. So now let's talk about the nine things that'll help your home recordings right here on the home recording made easy.com podcast. Everybody, welcome back to yet another episode of the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. This is episode number 46. And this week we're going to talk about nine items that'll help your home recordings sound more professional, sound better. And there'll be some things in here that maybe you really haven't considered or you heard before and maybe forgot. These are just some things to think about when you're setting up your home studio, if you're doing gear upgrades and doing the things um, you know, in your studio to try to make your you know, recordings as good as you possibly can. Here's some things that you can add to the list of things you probably already have. So thank you so much for joining. Now make sure you stick around to the end of the podcast. I'm going to give you guys a couple of free gifts and I really do appreciate you listening. Um, and um, if you have any other podcast show ideas, you can always email me through the website and I'll give me some of the ideas and some of your ideas of things you'd like me to talk about on this podcast if I haven't already done so in the first 45 episodes <laughs> of this podcast. So again, thanks so much for joining me. So let's start off with tip number one. When doing home recordings and recording yourself at home, regardless of whether you're recording vocals, guitar, drums, whatever, make sure that you use good quality cables and use the shortest length cable that is required or possible for the situation. So what does that mean? So let's talk about good quality cables. So I've talked about this before in other podcast episodes. Um, where a lot of times people think about cables as an afterthought. You know, they go out and they buy a really nice audio interface or a preamp. They buy a really nice expensive microphone. And then they buy, you know, the cheapest XLR cable or instrument cable that they can possibly buy. Um, and that is not a good thing. There is a difference and there is a quality and a sound difference in quality, having quality cables versus non-quality cables. More than really the sound difference also is the reliability where if you get good quality cables, they're going to last you a long time. They're a lot more durable. They're going to be less noisy and things like that. And especially when you start getting into some of the longer runs of cables, we talked about using short or the shortest cable possible. Um, when you use really long cables, especially things like guitar cables, um, for recording guitar quarter inch, um, instrument cables, the longer the guitar run, and especially if the quality of the cable is subpar, you're going to tend to lose, especially some of the higher end frequencies, the longer the cable. And if you don't have cables that are shielded well, if they're not very good quality cables, when you have a lot of cables in your studio, they could tend to be a little bit more noisy. And also to, again, the quality of the connectors as you plug and unplug things from things like guitars, where you're constantly plugging and unplugging, those cables may not be as durable and they're not going to last uh, as long as a higher quality cable. Now, there are a point of diminishing returns where you can spend 
hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a 12 foot guitar cable, for example, you could spend two, $300. Um, I don't suggest that you need to do something like that, but I also don't suggest that you buy that same 12 foot cable and spend 20 bucks. That's not a good idea. Um, in the past, I've always recommended the cables that I like and tend to use, and it would be considered, I think, a mid-price cable as far as cables go, or a high-level prosumer cable, maybe, and that's the Mogami Gold. I use that for all of my cables, whether it's XLR, interconnect, or instrument cables. A 12-foot cable will probably run you around 40 bucks or so, give or take, um, and I've never had a Mogami cable go bad. Um, they, I've never, uh, you know, uh, noticed any kind of, you know, loss in the high end if you're using longer cable runs and they're just more durable. And so that's what I suggest. Other people have used, uh, suggested, you know, monster cable. That's a good cable as well. Um, I would just buy a name brand and buy good quality cables. And by keeping the runs as short as possible, you're also going to make sure you keep the integrity of the signal from one end of the cable to the other. So that's, um, you know, a good way to kind of just make sure that your signal is, you know, is as good as it can be. Use short cables and good quality cables, and you'll never have to rebuy your cables because they fall apart or they don't sound right, or all of a sudden you have a bunch of noise. You won't have to worry about that. Tip number two, also use good microphone stands and shock mounts. And you say, well, how does this make your recordings better? Well, stay with me here. It's all about the whole the whole picture of, of your studio. Again, I've seen people, just like with the mic cables, buy really expensive microphones and put them on a real crappy stand, a $20 hollow-tubed stand that you buy at the big box stores, microphone on a boom arm, tips over, smash on the floor, you just damaged your microphone. doesn't make sense. Good shock mounts are important, especially when you're for vocalists. If you have a crappy shock mount on a real lightweight, light duty microphone stand, you're going to have rumble and noise that picks up in that microphone. Again, hence making your recording not as good as it can be. Um, and so not only will it help protect your microphone, but it also helps protect getting any of the low rumble noise, you know, bumping, you know, singers kind of moving around, tapping their foot on the floor. Maybe they accidentally, you know, lightly tap the microphone stand. If you're using a cheap, uh, low quality shock mount and a cheap, low quality microphone stand, you're going to hear every single uh, little thing that happens. Or if you buy something more durable, more rugged, once again, it's going to last you a lifetime and it's going to make sure that your microphone, especially if you use good quality microphones, that they're safe and that stands are, are, are free of tipping over. Again, the microphone stands that I use and have used for probably, I don't know, six to years or maybe almost maybe almost 10 years, uh, at least six years at this point, is I like Triad Orbit. Again, you can click the link in the description box, sweetwater.com and check that out. Um, those are, in my opinion, the most durable, rugged, versatile microphone stands on earth. They're expensive. They're not cheap. You know, uh, an average microphone stand with a boom arm is going to run you maybe 150 to $200. That stand will last you a lifetime. You can't tip it over with a microphone. It is heavy. They probably weigh 10 pounds. And it's just durable, rugged stuff. You're not going to have to worry about transfer of rumble in the floor going through the microphone stand. And if you use a good shock mount, again, shock mount, you can use. There's multiple brands out there, but buy something good. 
So the, the lesson here is number one, we don't want transfer from the stand and the shock mount through the microphone and getting into your recordings. That's the first thing. Number two, we don't want your microphone to get damaged when it tips over because the stand isn't of heavy duty and it falls on the floor and damages an expensive microphone. So make sure, just like with the cables, you have good quality stuff. Yes, it's an investment. Yes, it's gonna cost you money up front, but guess what? It's gonna last you a lifetime and you're only gonna to have to buy the stuff once. And I'm sure we all made the mistake where we try to cut corners and save a few bucks and we end up buying stuff two and three times because we didn't buy it, quote unquote, right the first time. Okay, so good mics, good mic stands, good shock mounts. Okay, another tip here, this is pretty obvious to making the recording sound better, is making sure all your instruments are properly tuned. And what does that mean? And not just tuned, of course you gotta tune the guitar, Dave, if you're gonna play guitar, duh, that's, that's simple. Yes, but when you have a band or like you're recording multiple instruments, guitar, bass, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, here's a tip for you. Make sure when you, when you tune that instrument, you tune it with the same physical tuner especially if you use one of those headstock clip-on tuners that we all use because they're so convenient, they're cheap. They're great, but from tuner to tuner, they're not the most accurate. Again, you spend $12 on a tuner, $10 on a tuner. How accurate do you think that tuner really is? And when it's not plugged into the guitar and it's on the headstock, depending on the guitar, depending on the headstock, the way it's clamped and all of that, there can be some slight variation from tuner to tuner. So I have one tuner that I use to tune all the guitars, I have multiple tuners, but if I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be recording a song, the same tuner that I use to tune my acoustic will be the same tuner that I use to, uh, to tune my electric to the same tuner that I'm gonna use to tune my acoustic, okay? That's important. Um, if you wanna step up and get beyond the little shark tuners that are 12 or $15, Peterson makes a nice clip-on strobe tuner. Again, they're a little more expensive, 50, 60 bucks, but they're a little bit more accurate. So make sure your stuff's in tune, make sure you use the same tuner. Also make sure if you're gonna record drums that your drums are in tune. Take the time to learn how to tune your drums. And I'm talking to not only the engineers who aren't drummers to learn how to tune a drum kit, I'm talking to drummers learn how to tune your drum kit. It astonished me over the years of how many drummers I've recorded in my life that didn't know how to tune their drums. They really had no clue how to tune them. Um, and, you know, or, and or make sure that not only are the drums in tune, but that you have decent quality heads on them if you're gonna record drums. There's nothing worse than having a drum kit that's recorded with tune, heads that are out of tune that look like they've been through a war and back and there's four layers of duct tape taped to it. That's ridiculous for recording. Get good quality drum heads, make sure they're in tune, make sure they're stretched out. They don't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot of money to do that. Drum heads are not that expensive. It'll make the overall drum kit sound so much better and hence your recordings will sound better. You won't spend time in mixing, fixing the drum sounds or worse, just end up replacing them all with samples because the drums sound like crap. <laughs> okay, so making sure all your instruments are tuned, use the same tuner, make sure your drums are tuned and have good heads. And the same thing with guitars too, talking about new heads on drums. Make sure you have fresh set of guitar strings on your guitars when you're recording guitars. Okay, make sure they're fresh. Make sure they you know don't have three three inches of, of corrosion on them. Okay, it's another thing. You know, bass strings, eh, bass strings you don't have to change as often, I realize. But make sure your guitar strings are, are changed, stretched out, and that are new, just like with the drum heads, okay? So there we go, tip number three. Tip number four, here's something that's a good idea if, you, if you're inclined to learn how to do this, which will help you with your recording and your mixing, is where you can maybe 
use some a little bit light amount of analog compression and EQ on the way into the DAW, especially for heavy transient instruments or very dynamic instruments, I should say, things like vocals. If you have a hardware compressor and an EQ, where maybe you can do a little bit of compression, now I'm talking about a little, three to four dB, just to level out the performance a little bit, put a little coloration on the vocal, use a little outboard EQ to get the, the vocal tone and kind of the sound that you want into the way of the DAW will really help you um, when you're mixing vocals. That's just one example, but that's, that's a real common one. But on any instrument, even acoustic guitars, you know, bass, very dynamic bass instruments, usually if it's played in, a, in an up-tempo number. You know, a little bit of compression on the way in is very helpful. Now, what kind of compressor do you buy? How much do you want to spend? Well, that's for another episode. You can spend very little amount of money, and then you can spend a real obscene amount of money and everything in between. Again, as I've talked about in other episodes, I'm not a big fan of buying, again, the cheapest bottom barrel stuff that you can find because it's a hardware compressor. If you can't afford to buy something decent, then don't bother, just use plugins. Or if, you know, talking about plugins, if you can record through your plugins, things like the Universal Audio Apollo interfaces where you can record with zero latency through some of their analog plugin emulations, that's another good option as well. And it's cheaper than going out and spending money on a good compressor if you don't have the budget. But if you have a Universal Audio interface, not only can you use their plugins for mixing, but you can use their plugins for recording and that's a really good way. So trying to level up and kind of commit to a sound on the way into the DAW will help you make your overall recording sound better and it will help you with your mixing, okay? Tip number five, up tip number five, I put in tip number three. So we talked about new guitar strings and new drum heads, okay? So that's, that was tip number five I wrote down here, but it really is part of making sure all the instruments are tuned. Okay, let's skip over that and go to number six. Number six is find the best room to record in as possible and or have your room treated. I might have a record for the most podcast episodes in a row where I talk about acoustic treatment in your room. We a lot of times talk about it and associate it with mixing is that if you want to have mixes that translate, you have to have the right speaker placement in a, in a well-treated acoustic room. But that goes the same for recording. So, for example, if you're someone who wants to record live drums, right, live acoustic drums, and you just don't have the right space for it, well, you know, maybe is it possible to go to another room, rent out a room, find a different space where you can just record your drum tracks and then come back to your home studio to record the other instruments? Or even if you're going to record the other instruments in your space, like vocals, like acoustic guitar, where you're going to mic up an acoustic guitar, even electric guitar, where you're going to mic up a guitar amp, having the room sound good is a huge part of the overall recording. It's a huge part of it. And again, do you have to have a million dollar treated, you know, professionally tuned room like a big time recording studio? No, of course not. But like I've said in many other episodes, good acoustic treatment, some solid acoustic treatment that isn't going to cost you a fortune, but it's going to make the room sound good, tuned somewhat, is always a benefit and will help the recording process. Okay, and if you can't do that in your physical space, maybe you can find an alternative space to record some of the more critical instruments that really need a good space. Again, like drums, that's usually the best one. Okay, tip number seven, use the best quality amps and instruments that you can afford. So in other words, you know, again, we talk about, again, this could be obvious to some people, but to some people it's not. 
Um, we talked about this when we talked about, you know, having expensive microphones and plugging them into a, an entry level $99 interface is probably not the best idea. Can it be done? Yes. Will it make a halfway decent recording? Okay, I'll, I'll even go that far. Are you getting the most out of that high quality microphone by plugging it into a, to a cheap preamp? No, not really. Not really. You're not, you're not, you're, you're, you're kind of not utilizing the high end quality of your microphone in that example by putting it into a cheap preamp. Your, 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 your recording and your signal chain is only as good as its weakest link. Well, that goes all the way back to the instruments as well. That's not to say that, you know, certain sounds that use cheap gear, you know, like guitar amplifiers, for example, you know, some of the charm of having a, a guitar track that has kind of a real crappy amp with a crappy speaker, it has a special kind of tone that you like for a specific track. That's a different type of thing. That's using though that, you know, that is like a, is like a different color. But having good quality amplifiers, having good quality instruments where possible makes a difference. Instruments are easier to play when they're built better and they're of higher quality. That doesn't mean you got to spend 10,000 bucks. It doesn't even need saying you have to spend a thousand bucks, but have something decent. Don't have something that's crap and expect it to sound great because if it's crappy and it's crap out, especially this makes sense on things like acoustic guitars. This is where from an instrumentation standpoint, it probably makes the most difference in an acoustic instrument because when you record an acoustic guitar, not meaning plugging in with a cable, not an electric acoustic, but an acoustic. The whole quality of the wood, the construction and the sound of that guitar is coming from the quality of the instrument and also the room that it's in, okay? So <clears throat> having, you know, a, a well-built quality acoustic guitar is gonna record a lot better than having a real entry level, poorly made, poor quality woods acoustic guitar. That's not to say, that you couldn't have a, a more bargain priced instrument sound okay. You can make it sound okay, but let's face it. You know, if you had your choice to record a beautiful, you know, dreadnought Martin guitar on your track versus, you know, I don't know, pick one, a $99 or $199 cheap entry level Epiphone acoustic guitar, which one do you think is going to sound better on the recording? And again, I'm not picking on Epiphone. Epiphone makes some really great stuff as well, but they also make very entry-level things for beginners and kids and those sorts of things. But you understand my point, right? What do you, which one do you think is going to sound better? <laughs> right? If you're recording a guitar amplifier and you're recording guitar rock tones, for example, what do you think is going to sound better? Do you think a nice you know, combo or heading cabinet, I don't know, like a Marshall-ish amp, like a JCM 800 or something in that style is going to sound better than, I don't know, a Line 6 Spider guitar modeling amplifier, which is really more of a practice amp with a cheap speaker in it. Which one do you think is going to sound better? The quality of the instrument does make a difference. Now, again, there's diminishing returns. It's not just spend more, get more for it. But good quality instruments that are built well and well-maintained are going to record better and going to sound better in a recording than the cheapo stuff a lot of the time. Not that the cheapo stuff can't work and can't use it. It has its place, but I'm talking about in general terms. So make sure if you can have good quality instruments, you're better off having one real nice quality instrument 
um, electric guitar with amplifier than having four bottom of the barrel priced, you know, guitars with cheap amplifiers. You know what I mean? It's quality over quantity. Okay. So I think everybody gets that point, but that does make, that does make a difference. Okay. Tip number eight, mic, mic placement and learning about mic placement and experimentation with mic placement. Take your time to get the sound before you actually hit the record button. You know, we've used the term and you've heard the term, get it right at the source. That's what that means, right? Spend the time to make sure that the instruments are set up right. Make sure that the microphone is placed properly on the amplifier. Make sure you got the right strings if you're talking about a guitar in this example. Do a little test recording, record 20, 30 seconds of, of soundbite, listen back. Get the sound that you want before you commit to it in the DAW. That doesn't mean you're not going to have to use a little bit of compression or some EQ when you get to the mixing stage because in solo when you're recording the instrument, it doesn't matter as much to when it is when you put it in a mix, right? We talk about that in mixing all the time. But, but try to get the sound to the finalized sound as much as you can before you record. That's a big one. That's a real big one, you know? A lot of people, especially in the home studio world that are, you know, again, they're, they're, they're in the process of getting up and getting running and learning. They don't realize how important getting it right at the source really means. They don't realize how important it is to make sure that you, you place the microphones in the optimal place and take the time to experiment. If you record it right at the source, the rest of your mix and whatnot is going to go so much easier, so much easier. Okay, so that's going to help your recordings sound better as well. And the last tip for this episode is having a vision, if you will, planning and pre-production of not only the song recording, but the song arrangement, you know, pre-production on the songs before you record them, you know, you want to, you know, you can have a wonderfully recorded crappy song and it's still a crappy song, but spending the time on the pre-production planning planning out the song, pre-pro, planning out the, the the tracks, planning out like we've been talking about, the instruments, instrumentation, what are you going to record, you know, taking the time to think about those kinds of things and not just kind of winging it, but actually taking the time to think about the, all those things and how they kind of come together and having kind of an idea before you start, well, what is the end sound that you're going for? What kind of style of music? Are you trying to make it sound like a punk rock, the Ramones style record, loud and trashy and in your face and not high fidelity and just energy? Okay, well, the way you record that kind of music and that kind of song is way different, way different than if you're someone who's writing a pop song that you want it to sound like, you know, a pop artist would like nice lush strings and you know orchestral arrangements and different types of instrumentation you want it to sound big and beautiful and spacious and and high fidelity the way you would record a track like that the way you would even write a song like that is way different than the example i just mentioned about the punk rock tune so think about how you want to record these things think about what kind of style of music is it and make sure you have the appropriate tools and instruments and such and recording techniques for that style of music. It doesn't mean that you have to follow a book. Recording is all about experimentation and coming up with new ideas and new things and trying things that aren't the norm and making things sound unexpected and, and work in a way that really breaks the rules. Yes, that's all part of it. That's, that's certainly part of it. 
But again, having an idea of what you want it to sound like, you know, I, I've worked on clients mixes before recordings where they've sent me recordings and they, they hire me to mix their music. And one of the things that we, I ask about early on, and we've talked about this in other episodes, reference tracks and how you want to always mix to a reference track or have a reference track as a guide. So it's one of the questions I ask the artist when they send me off their music. Okay, what kind of vibe are we going for? And I've had times where, you know, someone would say, oh, you know, we, we want to, you know, we're a big Greta Van Fleet classic rock 70s sound Zeppelin uh, fan. And, you know, we want our, we want our track to kind of have that vibe. I'm like, all right, man, cool, man. You can't get a much better vibe than Led Zeppelin and Greta Van Fleet, <laughs> right? I mean, you're all right. And then I pull up the session and I listen to it. It doesn't sound like anything like that. That style, it's not even close to that style of music. The way the stuff was recorded is it's not the way those tracks, you know, it, it's not even close. And I said, I can't make your song sound like that's th that style. It's not in that style. You know, if you want a Led Zeppelin rock tune or a Greta Van Fleet, you know, rock upbeat tempo tune, it's a certain kind of drum sound recording. It's a certain type of guitar tone recording. It's a certain sound of guitar playing recording, right? All the things I just said in every other instrument is all about the recording phase, the pre-production phase, the song arrangement phase, the vision of the tune, okay? If you want it to be big and fat and big fat rock guitars like Led Zeppelin and Greta Van Fleet, you don't record all those guitars with single coil pickups and a Strat. You don't do that. Maybe there's a track or two that has a strat as a, as a filler, but what do you use? You use Marshall-esque, 12 inch speaker-esque, Les Paul-esque type tones. Or else, guess what? It's not gonna sound like the tracks that you wanna sound like, right? Okay, I know that seems obvious to some people, but to other people that you may not realize that. And I know this because I've had clients do this where they want it to sound like a style, but they don't record it anything like the style. And that's even talking about before the, the song arrangement and that stuff, but just the playing and the recording doesn't sound anything like the style that they're going for. So th that's part of the vision. It's part of the pre-production. It's things to think about when you're going to sit down and record something that you want to release at one point, whether it's commercially or for fun or otherwise, that you think about that and you have some thought around that. And then that leads into, okay, I'm going to record a track that sounds like this. I know what kind of playing style it is. I wrote my song around this kind of style and okay, now how am I going to record that? And it's a thoughtful process. What kind of guitars am I going to use? What kind of amps am I going to use? Do I have that in my arsenal? If I don't, can I borrow? Can I rent? Where is it going to be recorded? I want a big, you know, I'm just using Led Zeppelin again because everybody knows Led Zeppelin. I'm looking for a big Led Zeppelin, John Bonham sound, right? The levee breaks, big, big, big. That's not done in a bedroom. Can you get a big room with big ceilings, tall ceilings, so you can record a big live drum kit? Yes, you could put samples on and we could put reverb on and stuff at the end and mixing. Yes, you could do those things and fake it a little bit. But as I said, this whole thing is about getting it right at the source, right? So can we record that big bottom sound in a 10 by 10 bedroom with, with no, in a dead sounding room? No, you can't. Can you fake it? In the mixing stage with some samples and things, yes, you can. But again, if you want to record it organically, well, maybe you can get those drums in a bigger room. Can you rent a studio or a bigger room to record the drum tracks? You know, be thoughtful around those things, okay? That is how you get a raw recording that sounds better before we put plug-in number one 
on the on the mix, we should be able to throw up the faders and you want a song that's well, you know, obviously well written, well performed. This kind of guy it's probably tip number 10. Let's save that for tip number 10. But recorded with a purpose, recorded with a vision, okay? And the number 10, I just kind of said it. It was kind of an afterthought as I'm rambling on as Uncle Dave here likes to do. Performance. Take the time to perform this stuff to the best of your ability. And you say, duh, that's an easy one. What idiot doesn't know that? Well, <laughs> I could tell you more times than not, when I get recordings from people in a home studio, in a bedroom, that don't have a lot of experience recording because maybe no one told them about these things. It's not their fault. They're learning. That's why you're here, right? Send me stuff where the performance isn't right. It's sloppy, right? The vocals are not in tune. They're not in key. <clears throat> or the vocal sounds in tune and in key and it's got absolutely no life, no mojo, no performance, no emotion, period. I can't make that. I can't squeeze that out of a vocal that was recorded that way. Not taking the time to get the performance down. And when I say performance, I mean, yeah, I obviously play the song with no mistakes and play it well. That's obvious. Performance. Emotion, especially in vocals. Performance and emotion is more, more important than being a little out of tune on a note here or there. That adds a little character and charm. I don't mean it can be way out of tune. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It doesn't have to be perfectly in tune. It doesn't have to be right on the grid. It, if the drummer's any good, yes, play to a click track, but you know what? They can move, they can play a little bit behind the click, a little bit above the click in the choruses, a little fast, a little slow, a little push and pull. That makes the whole track breathe. That makes the track sound organic. So I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about performance, right? Sonically, if you want it to sound great, part of that is the way the song is performed. So making sure that you just don't settle, you know, we got it. Take, let's move on to something else. Can, is it good? Usually the best takes are in the first two or three takes anyway, but take your time, especially if you're new to recording in your home studio, getting to know your gear, make sure the performances are right. You know, you got a bunch of clunkers in the guitar solo, do it again, do it again, do it again. And then let's comp the track and make one real good solo. If you can't play it from start to finish, it's very common by the way. Same thing with vocals. You know, we want the stuff to be performed well because that's going to make the recording sound better. And that's one of the, if that, I, you know, that's almost, to be honest with you in this whole list, now that I'm thinking about this, that is probably the number one downfall that I hear to most home recordings by, you know, newbies, beginners, not a lot of experience in recording or getting back into recording. And most of what I hear, it's a lack of performance. It's a lack of personality. It's a lack of interesting vibe. And even if it's sonically recorded well or decent, all I'm going to be able to do and all you're going to be able to do in a mixing stage is maybe make that sound just a little bit okay better, but it's never going to, you're never going to be able to mix 
personality and vibe into a performance that's not there. So that should be first and foremost on your list when you're actually ready to hit the record button is making sure that the song has personality and vibe. That is all part of, I feel kind of, all part of the vision, the planning, the pre-production stages, making sure. And then when you get down to the actual recording, you get past all the other tips that we talked about, making sure that you deliver it, you bring your A game, okay? And here's how you know if a recording was done well. You just take that recording and just push up the faders and do a quick little balance and don't add a single effect, don't add a single plugin, don't do anything. And that record ought to sound 70% done, 60% done. Where you push it up and you can go, wow, that sounds like an amazing demo. There's nothing to really fix. Now we're sweetening and we're using all the, the mixing tips and tricks and concepts and techniques to really take that thing over the finish line. But if you can get the recording down to the 20 yard line or the 10 yard line, the mix should be the last 10 yards. Okay. If you only got the ball have not even halfway down the field and you're expecting it mixing to take that thing and make it sound amazing, it's not going to. Most times it just is not. I don't care who the mixing engineer is. That's just the way it works. So anyway, I hope those 10 tips will help you think about when you're ready to record your next track, the things you should consider, okay? All those things are important. Not one of them is the only thing to do, but if you take all 10 of those things and you kind of go through them one by one and get everything kind of lined up, your recordings are gonna sound wonderful before you mix them and then after you're done mixing them, they're gonna sound great. Whether you mix them or but you get a, a real mixing engineer to do it, you're gonna, you're gonna sound great. You're gonna have a really great track that you can be proud of. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and this uh, podcast here. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I want to give you a couple of free gifts. So if this is your first time here, welcome to the homerecordingmadeeasy.com family. I want you to go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com because I want to give you a free mixing course. It's right on the website. It's worth about 50 bucks. It's my gift to you just for visiting homerecordingmadeeasy.com so you can take that mixing course and you can start to mix this wonderful recording you're about to make after listening to this podcast. And then once you've taken that course, if you want to dive more uh, down deep into the concepts of mixing and mastering and you want to take one of my paid training courses, I want to give you a discount coupon. I want to give you a 30% discount if you use the coupon code podcast30, that's podcast30, use that at checkout. It will take 30% off any one of my training courses on my website. Again, my gift to you just for checking out Home Recording Made Easy. I think you'll really enjoy them. So take me up on that offer and go check out all the courses at homerecordingmadeeasy.com today. And until the next podcast episode, once again, I've been Dave with homerecordingmadeeasy.com. I really do appreciate your time today and I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll see you next time. Take care, everybody.